Hello, and welcome to the Sola Gratia Sermons Podcast. I'm so glad that you decided to drop in today. I pray that you enjoy this sermon and that God, through His Word, convicts you, encourages you, and edifies you. I also pray that this sermon increases your knowledge of God and grows your love for Him and His Scripture. God bless you and keep you. Soli Deo Gloria. Uh, Philemon chapter 1. Of course, there is only one chapter. Uh, Last time, we went through uh, verses 1 through 7, which is essentially Paul's uh, introduction, uh, this small letter that he wrote to Philemon concerning uh, himself, concerning uh, the church, some of what he says concerns the church at Colossae, and some of what he said, of course, uh, concerns Onesimus, who is the runaway uh, servant, the runaway slave of Philemon at this time. Um, so there's a lot of beauty to be had in this book. Uh, many of us have uh, had the experience during childhood, I'm sure. You may have experienced something where there was some sort of disagreement or some sort of fight uh, between you and another child, or maybe this happened uh, in your adult life as well. Who knows? Uh, but mother, as, uh, as you were a child, mother instructed you to reconcile. Okay, now you need to say you're sorry. I'm pretty sure I just did this yesterday with our boys and some of the neighborhood boys. You need to say you're sorry and you shake hands or give them a hug, whatever the case may be, whether you like it or not. You make, you make up with them, make it better. But you didn't want to, did you? You hated it. Maybe you even hated them to a point. And you're still angry. So was the issue resolved? You know, was the uh, was the heart dealt with? Well, no, of course not. You were you were being forced to reconcile, if you will, out of compulsion. That's one thing we'll talk about in this section here. Out of compulsion, but that is thankfully precisely the opposite of what we see here in Philemon. We see from Paul's wording that he wants true godly reconciliation, and that true godly reconciliation must come from the heart. It must come from the heart. It must come out of an outward, or excuse me, an inward desire for love and peace and reconciliation, right? Not based out of compulsion, not because I'm being forced to, amen? As a question of application, you know, do you, do you have those in your life that you'd rather not forgive? I'm sure we all have maybe one or two that we could name. If they're in this room, please don't look at them. But maybe there's those of whom you've said, I will never forgive them because of what they've done, whatever the case may be. Perhaps uh, this may be applicable to us all in one way or another. So let's jump into the text and see what this scripture has to say. Uh, The three points that I'll try to pull out of these few verses that we'll go over is all based on the appeal that Paul makes. So number one is that it is an appeal based in love. It's an appeal based in love. And number two, it is an appeal purposed for reconciliation. Reconciliation. And number three, it is an appeal that is rooted in the providence of God, the sovereign providence of God. So if you would, uh, please do stand with me uh, in honor of the reading of the word. We're in Philemon, picking up right where we left off, uh, verse 8 through 16. 
And Paul says, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but out of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Let's pray. Well, dear Lord, we thank you for your, your word. It is always life to us. It is conviction to us. It is edifying to us. We thank you, Lord, that you have spoken to us in your word, that you have revealed to us your character, your nature, your love, everything about you that we need to know, everything we need for life and godliness is in your word, Lord. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would use me in this time we have together, that you would speak through your word, that these would not just be my own words, Lord, but that you would speak through me and speak through your word and edify your sheep today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Paul picks up and, and starts his main body of this short letter to Philemon, as we see here. And if we can give an overall synopsis of this letter, we're going to give a, a, do a little bit of review here because it's been a few weeks since you've seen me. But the overall synopsis could be put this way, that the character of a Christian is marked by love, fellowship, forgiveness, reconciliation, and a deep spiritual bond. That's my overall synopsis of Philemon. So we can go home now. All right. <laughs> but a little bit of review. Um, in this letter to Philemon, uh, Paul masterfully implores uh, Philemon to accept reconciliation and to forgive. We will see things in this letter that we as Christians are never to forget. These are characteristics that we should uh, obtain or seek to obtain, characteristics that we should have that we should seek after. And in this letter, although Paul could, as he says in verse 8, he could assert his apostolic authority. He could command Philemon what to do, couldn't he? Of course he could. It could be very simple, but instead he pleads with Philemon for a man called Onesimus. And thus we see the, the main subject of this Story. He makes an appeal to Philemon, who was saved through the ministry of Paul. We know that much. And he pleads for Onesimus, who Paul also calls a child or his child in the faith. Paul has grown to love Onesimus as a son, a spiritual son, he says. And because of his brotherly, loving relationship with Philemon, he pleads with him in a very loving 
gracious way. This is why I loved our, our conversation this morning, just in Sunday school, speaking about our words and our conversation be filled with grace towards one another, gracious towards one another, seasoned with salt, right? We see that in Colossians 4. So you were very applicable this morning and you didn't even know it. But Paul points out in verse 15 that all of this happened for a reason, right? It was not meaningless. It was actually all put together in the providential plan of God, not only so that Philemon could reconcile, but so that Onesimus could be saved. Do you see that? MacArthur uh, labels this section, uh, verses 8 through 18, roughly as the actions of one who forgives. And I think that's a good synopsis as well. The actions and characteristics of one who forgives. I think that's a good synopsis. But what Paul asks of Philemon may not be easy. It may be a tough pill to swallow, as we say. It's not always easy to forgive, is it? But Paul reminds Philemon of the character of a follower of Christ. And this fact, because Christ has forgiven you, Philemon, you must forgive others. And you must seek reconciliation, especially with those who are brothers in Christ. Especially with those. So as we move into the main body of this letter, we will see how Paul masterfully makes his appeal for uh, towards Philemon for forgiveness and for reconciliation based in love, not on compulsion, as I stated in that illustration at the beginning. This is not just out of compulsion or some obligatory command. It's because I love you, Philemon, and you must love our new brother, Onesimus, in the faith. So, number one, this is an appeal based in love. Based in love. We see this in verses 8 through 9. And although making a command would not be inappropriate, Paul could do that. It would not be wrong to do so. Paul instead makes a loving biblical appeal to Philemon. He's masterful with tact in this letter. Some of us could use lessons in that area, I'm sure. I still need lessons in tact from time to time. But he uses this linking word in verse 8. He says, accordingly, connecting his introduction, which we covered last time, to the main body of this letter. And Paul has apostolic authority, though, doesn't he? With which he could command Philemon what to do. He could do that. He has that boldness. Others should recognize his right to exercise his apostolic authority. This is actually similar to 1 Corinthians in chapter 9. If you've read that, when Paul made clear argument that he could exercise his apostolic authority to what? Command them to support him and his ministry. But instead, he speaks of laying aside his rights. He lays them down. For what? For the sake of love, for the sake of humility, that he might, he says, that I might win more. It's the language he uses. He loved them the church at Corinth. He sacrificed much for them, and he said that his reward, although they could support him, he would, he could command them to support him, he sacrificed instead. He laid aside his rights, and he says, no, my reward is actually the preaching of the gospel. That's my reward. And so we see the same attitude here. Paul 
chooses to exercise tact. Yes, but not for manipulation. We have to be careful with that. He's not manipulating here, but rather it is a loving appeal, an appeal based in love for a brother who has become very special to him. Very special. As speaking of tact, I'm sure we've all encountered a, a situation or conversations in our lives that may have been saltier than we would have liked, right? We've encountered this conversation after which we're wondering what in the world went wrong with that conversation because uh, we see afterwards why this person seems to be upset with us. They seem to be distant from us. What in the world did I do wrong? What went wrong? And then someone comes along, pulls you to the side maybe, uh, who may have been included in that interaction somehow, or maybe they overheard the conversation, and they say, well, I'm sure you've all heard this before. <laughs> it's not what you said. It's how you said it. <laughs> that was not so great, right? What we say matters, right? What we say, of course, matters. Words have meaning, but many times how we say it matters as well, right? And in this letter, we see Paul masterfully practicing this art of, of gracious tact, loving persuasion towards Philemon. His tone is gracious, isn't it? It's endearing, even. It's full of love. He does not exercise his authority or his rank, but rather puts forth a heartfelt, selfless appeal for this brother, while clearly recognizing God's sovereign hand over the entire situation. This is not happening by chance, Philemon. This is all part of God's sovereign plan. All of Paul's tact, his entire gracious appeal, is leading up to what we see in verse 17. It's the so-called punchline, if you will, where Paul says, So, so, if you consider me your partner... Receive him, Onesimus. Receive him just as you would receive me. Do that, Philemon. You can see the gracious, loving tone that he puts on, on this. And again, it's important to note that this appeal is not manipulative. It's made on the basis of love, on the basis of the qualities which Paul has already described regarding Philemon's character in verses 6 and 7. He says... In verse 6, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. You can see this endearing, loving, thankful language from Paul towards Philemon. Yes, he could command him, but he lays down his authority. I could command you, Philemon. I could, if I thought it was necessary, see the church at Corinth, where it was very necessary for Paul to lay down the law to correct the manipulation that was going on, the misuse of gifts, the abuse within that church, the sinful things that were going on, acts of adultery. Yes, Paul exercised some authority there. But he doesn't do so with Philemon. I make an appeal to you because I love you. On the basis, And the basis of this love is not some secular brotherhood, is it? 
Of course not. It's not because they were bros as children, right? Or it's not because my mom knew your mom or because we played the same sports or some other sort of secular sentimentalism. That's not what this love is based on. The basis of this love is found in our mutual love for Christ. That's part of what we spoke about this morning as well. The love of those of us in the church for one another. Why? Because we're a body. Amen? The basis of this love is in our mutual love in Christ, our love for God who first loved us. We see that in Romans 5.5 where Paul says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And then in 1 John 4.19 through 20, he says, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. We see this character of love and the basis for that love. Amen? You have been loved by God. Therefore, love others. The question for us becomes, as a matter of application, when we approach our brothers and sisters in the body, do we approach them with the same love, with the same grace, tact, love, peace, gentleness, kindness, the fruits of the Holy Spirit? Do we do that? Do we assume the best in them with the kindest of intentions, or do we respond to them in a forceful way as if they were our enemy? You see? something to think about. And so Paul moves on to the heart of his appeal. And that is number two, the, it is an appeal purposed for reconciliation. An appeal purposed for reconciliation. In verses 10 through 14, he covers this. In verse 10, Paul finally gets to the heart of his appeal or the main subject of his request. He says, for my child, Onesimus, for my child Onesimus. So as previously noted, Paul became Onesimus's spiritual father, his father in the faith, just as he was for Philemon. And that while he was imprisoned, if you recall, while he was in prison, how in the world did they meet? <laughs> well, we're not really told specifically, are we? But you can kind of come up with all kinds of scenarios in your mind as to how in the world did that happen? Was Onesimus doing some gardening work nearby, perhaps? What, did he just happen to be passing by the prison? Like, we're not really told. But we do know, based on the wording of Paul in verse 15, that it happened according to the sovereign providence of God. That it was within God's plan. It was God's purposes that this would unfold this way. And in verse 11, by the way, we're... Paul refers to useful and useless. He's not being impolite there when he says that. The name Onesimus, it actually means useful. It means useful. And so it seems Paul is actually kind of making a pun with Onesimus' name, which is kind of funny. But he's saying, well, he was useless to you. But now, indeed, he is useful to you and to me. Why is he useful? 
Why all of a sudden change? Well, because now he's a fellow brother in Christ, right? Conversion has actually changed Onesimus. He's not the same that he was before. And that is all of our stories as Christ has changed you from the inside out, is it not? How useless are we all until God bursts into your life and changes your heart, changes you from the inside out? How useless is a dead man? Ephesians chapter 2. You who were dead in your sins and trespasses. How useless is a dead man? What can a dead man do until God raises him to spiritual life through the power and the working of the Holy Spirit through the gospel? Amen? I was useless before God changed me. Such is the work of God. Don't let anyone ever tell you in the body of Christ that you're useless. You're not useless or that you serve no purpose in the church. All of us have purpose in Christ, regardless of where you came from, who your family is, what your past is, what your history is, what your addictions were, what your sins were. You have a purpose in this body. You do. God has brought you to where you are. He had you walk through all the experiences you walked through. All for what? For his purposes. To train you, to mold you, to use you, to mature you, and ultimately to bring glory to his name. Amen? He did that. How wonderful it is that God, by his grace, has chosen to take initiative in our lives. He took the initiative, didn't he? Or were you just so wise and so much smarter than everyone around you, smarter than your neighbor, that you took the initiative and you found God? Of course not. That was not me. How glorious that God chooses to act upon us, to show us grace, to draw us towards him when we all deserved his wrath. All of us. How marvelous that he regenerates us. He raises us from death to life. And furthermore, he adopts us into his family as co-heirs with Christ. The firstborn among many brethren. There is no such thing as a hopeless case in Christianity within the body of Christ. Do you know that? No such thing as a hopeless case. We are members of his body used for his glory in whatever capacity he chooses. And we're better for it. Amen? Praise God, we are no longer useless in Christ. Paul continues, I am sending him back to you. So now, in verses 12 through 14, Onesimus is being sent back to whence he came. This could be an awkward situation, could it not? Certainly could be. But I'm sending him back to whence he came. Useful. No longer useless. Why? Because of the work of God in his life. Right? Not because he went off to some fancy school or because he had won the lottery and struck it rich. 
or anything like that, but because, because he had spent time under the direct tutelage of Paul and because God had changed his life through Paul, directly taught under Paul, at least for a while, right? We're not clear. We don't know exactly what Paul taught him. We're not told specifically, but I would venture to guess that Paul taught Onesimus much of the same glorious truths that we see in the book of Colossians, right? After all, it's, it's very likely that these two letters were delivered together, right? We spoke of that, that this letter for Philemon and, the, and to the church of the Colossians were perhaps delivered together. Maybe they discussed Paul and, and Onesimus, what is in Colossians chapter 1. I'll go through a few verses here. Verse 9, that Paul was praying and teaching that Onesimus would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, with spiritual wisdom and understanding. Do you think Paul prayed that for Onesimus and for Philemon? Or verse 10, that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing him, bearing good fruit, increasing in knowledge and wisdom. Or verse 12, reminding him, Onesimus, to be thankful to the Father who has qualified him to share in the inheritance of the saints. Man, that's good language. Or 13, that God has delivered you, Onesimus. He has delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred him to the kingdom of the Son, Christ Jesus. Do you think they talked about that? Or later in verse 21, Colossians chapter 1, this God from whom you, Onesimus, you, all of you, were once alienated and hostile towards, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled you by his death in order to present you holy and blameless before God. What glorious truths they must have discussed as Paul led Onesimus to Christ. Do you think Paul perhaps taught Onesimus about godly forgiveness? That's what we're talking about, isn't it? And reconciliation. In Colossians 3, verse 13, we, we as God's chosen ones, are to bear with one another, bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other, as the Lord has forgiven you so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love. How applicable is that to our situation here in the letter to Philemon? So being under the instruction of apostles certainly would have its benefits, would it not? His direct instruction, and for in the providence of God, he had ordained that Onesimus would meet Paul and that all of this would unfold accordingly. Hindsight is often 2020, isn't it? Looking back to see what God did in your life and where he led you step by step every bit of the way. What a beautiful way that God could demonstrate forgiveness and reconciliation within the body by taking what could be seen as a negative situation and flipping it upside down and turning it into a beautiful story of forgiveness, being witnessed by the Colossian church. After all, this letter would most likely be read in front of all of them. In verses 13 through 14, Paul says, 
I would have been glad to keep him. Paul would have been glad to keep Onesimus in order to serve him on Philemon's behalf while he's in prison. He even says for for him to send Onesimus back, it would be to send my very heart. You can hear the endearing love he has for his new brother. But he says he will do nothing without the consent of Philemon. Why? Well, again, because he's not being manipulative. He's not commanding. He's not pushing this out of compulsion. He's making a loving comp- uh, uh, appeal. He wants Philemon to act in love, seeking reconciliation, because he wants to reconcile. Not because Paul's commanding him to, right? He's appealing to Philemon's brotherly love, graciously urging him to accept Onesimus in love and mercy, just as he would receive Paul. Verse 17, treat him exactly the same way you would treat me. Isn't that good? Philemon, I don't want to force you to reconcile. I want you to desire reconciliation. I want you to desire it with this new brother in Christ, even if he has wronged you, even if he has sinned against you. This is the same language we see in 1 Peter chapter 5, when he says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. You see the same thing that's being said, eagerly, willing, not out of compulsion. He wants this to be his attitude. I want my boys, my sons that you saw trampling through here a few minutes ago, I want them to love each other, right? I want them to reconcile with one another. Do I want them to do that out of compulsion? Well, no, of course not. I want them to do it, what Paul says, of their own accord. I want that for them. Not because I command them to. Isn't that one of the goals of parenting, right? You can command and command and command all day. But at the end of the day, if you're getting obedience out of them based on compulsion and based out of fear, you haven't really arrived yet, have you? (laughs) At the goal. No, you want your children to love one another. You want them to obey you, to live in peace with one another because they want to do those things. Amen? You want them to do it because they want to, not because they have to. You want them to mature to that point, right? And so it is with Paul's appeal to Philemon. I want you to receive and love Onesimus, not because you have to, but because you want to. I want you to desire reconciliation. Yes, Onesimus is coming back. He's returning to his post, but your relationship is going to be transformed forever in a way that you never might have anticipated. You may never have seen this coming. Yes, Philemon, I would have been happy to keep him, but I'm sending him back to you. Keep him and love him as a brother. Have him back just as you would have me back. I wonder if there might have been just a tiny bit of resistance from Philemon when he read that. Do you think? Just as a hypothetical, well, I don't really know if I want to do that. He's wronged me. But maybe you're right, Paul. I love this quote from Calvin. He says, 
it would be a sign of haughty pride if we should be ashamed to count as brothers those whom God has made his sons. What an act of haughty pride that we should refuse to accept our brothers out of our own pride. That is the kind of love and the reconciliation that should mark the church of Christ. Amen? It should mark us. That kind of reconciliation and love between people is only possible in the body of Christ. That is the only place it's possible. Number three and final. This is an appeal rooted in the providence of God. And I love this. The sovereign providence of God. Verse 15 and 16. Paul affirms very clearly that Onesimus came to him as an outcome of God's sovereign providence. He doesn't say that it was mere chance. Oh, well, how lucky was that? That Onesimus happened to cross my path while I'm in a Roman prison. How lucky. He doesn't say that. It's not mere chance, but rather he knows that all things serve a purpose in the providence of God. This is the same Paul who wrote Romans 8, 28 through 30 which we'll read here in a moment. He knows Onesimus was parted from Philemon, he says, for a while, for a while. Yes, and perhaps it was even under strained circumstances. It's pretty well agreed upon that Onesimus was a runaway. Perhaps he stole. We're not really told specifically. Perhaps he was he defrauded Philemon in some way. Maybe there was theft or some kind of insult. We don't know specifically, but... Uh, apart from verse 18 through 19, where Paul specifically says that he will repay any wrongdoings or financial debts from his own hand. If he owes you anything, if he's wronged you in any way, I will pay it. While he's in prison, what does he have? It's just ironic to, to think about, but and notice Paul doesn't tell Philemon simply to forgive Onesimus Onesimus's debt, whatever it might be, but rather he offers to pay it. What a sense of proper justice that Paul shows as well. He doesn't just tell Philemon, oh, let it go, which he could. That wouldn't be wrong to do, but in an act of Christian love and charity, rather, he says, I will pay it. He offers to pay the debt himself, even though he's in the lowly place of prison. What an incredible act. Seems this reconciliation is pretty important to Paul. Why else would he offer such a thing? It's beautiful. Yes, in every aspect of these circumstances and how this has unfolded, Paul knows that God is sovereign over everything that has happened. He says, for this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while. Why? That you might have him back forever. Isn't that awesome? All of this happened for a reason in the mind of God. All of it. The beauty of God's sovereignty, as I've said before, is that nothing is meaningless. Nothing is purposeless in our lives, not even our sin. Listen to these beautifully crafted statements from our, our 1689 uh, Baptist confession centuries ago. Chapter 3, paragraph 1, it says, From all eternity God decreed everything that comes to pass without reference 
to anything outside himself. He did this by the perfectly wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably. Yet, God did this in a way that he is neither the author of sin, nor has fellowship with any in their sin. And then awesome declaration of the sovereignty of God. And then this, this next one gets to the heart of the matter here. In chapter 5, paragraph 5, says, The perfectly wise, righteous, and gracious God often allows his own children for a time to experience a variety of temptations and the sinfulness of their own hearts. He does this to chastise them, discipline them, train them for their former sins or to make them aware of the hidden strength of the corruption and deceitfulness of their own hearts so that they may be humbled. He also does this to lead them to a closer and more constant dependence on him, to sustain them, to make them more cautious about all future circumstances that may lead to sin and for other just holy purposes. So whatever happens to any of his people happens by his appointment for his glory and for their good. Isn't that good? All of this serves a purpose Anything that happens to us is for his glory and for his good. So what we are getting at in this is that even though there was sin involved in this situation, God ordained whatever came to pass, not only to use Paul, but to reach Onesimus and to bring him to salvation. Do you see that? He reached uh, reached out to Onesimus in his fallen state for his good. Said what? To give him the gospel through Paul, to redeem him unto eternal life as a beloved child. So even though this could be considered an awkward situation, we can see that, let's walk through the, the series of events here. If Onesimus had not ran away, if he had not defrauded or committed whatever sin against Philemon, he never would have met Paul. And hence, Paul would not have given Onesimus the gospel. And hence, Onesimus would not have been saved. And hence, we would not have this beautiful letter showing us the beautiful story of forgiveness and reconciliation within the body of Christ. How beautiful is the mind and the providential work of God. Do you see that? Working all of this out. You see, God even uses our sin and is sovereign over it. And we're better for it. So Paul says, Philemon, remember, God is not asleep in all of this. Is he? Perhaps this is why he was parted from you for a while. To what outcome? The salvation of Onesimus. That you might have him back, he says, not just as a servant, but as a brother. And not just as a brother, but as a beloved brother. Beloved brother, this beloved brother is now one with you in the body of Christ. Isn't that beautiful? We see this proclaimed in Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together, what? For good. For those who are the called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, 
he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. What an amazing turn of providence in the life of Onesimus and the life of Philemon, that in the sovereign purposes of God, Philemon, who is in the position of master, who we can assume is a godly master, he is a Christian after all, who has lost a servant due to whatever circumstances, and in the providence of God, this servant, who was an unbeliever, runs away and is put in the path of Paul. And through this series of events, this servant who has run away from his master through Paul meets his true master, Jesus Christ. How awesome is the providence of God? God does move in mysterious ways, doesn't he? How incredible. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the child of God rests his head at night, giving him perfect peace. Nothing is meaningless. Nothing is purposeless. Whatever befalls you, God uses it. Who is your master today? Are you trusting in the sovereign, almighty God? that has this world in his hands? Do you understand that everything you walk through serves a purpose? Every bit. Every bit of it in the infinite mind of God for your good and for his glory. Do you know that? The truth is that like Onesimus, we were all once running from God. We were all once at enmity with God, hostile towards him, alienated, estranged from him, dead in our sins and trespasses. Scripture says we even hated God at enmity with him, not seeking after him. And yet, if you are truly a believer, God, who is the seeker of men, at one point in your life, he reached out, he found you, he found you in your sin and all of your depravity, and perhaps he sent a Paul to you who spoke truth into your life, who gave you the gospel and he picked you up and he raised you from death to spiritual life and through the powerful working of the Holy Spirit, through the gospel, he regenerated you and he changed you. He took out your heart of stone and he gave you a heart of flesh and he made you a new creation in Christ forever. Is that true of you today? Second Corinthians 5, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us. There's that word again. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Titus 3, and I'll close with this. Verse 5 through 7, for we ourselves were once foolish disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days with malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Doesn't that sound like the world today? But 
when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Do you think Onesimus understood that? Do you think Philemon understood that? I think they did. Let us remember that the greatest reconciliation that ever occurred, that reconciliation between God and men through the life, death, resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, that was the greatest reconciliation that ever occurred. His finished work upon the cross for all of his people. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, we are so thankful that we who were estranged from you, far from you, dead in our sins and trespasses, God, you reached out. You initiated, Lord. You sent someone to us. Your truth went out. Your gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation, reached into our hearts and convicted us and changed us forever. Lord, let us not forget that. And let us tell others of this great reconciliation that you have done. You have accomplished it in your son, Jesus Christ. Let us not be bashful about that. Let us be bold, Lord. Let us go out and proclaim the same message that Paul proclaimed. Give us strength, Lord, in our world that is full of sin and darkness. But let us remember that you are sovereign over all of that darkness. You are sovereign over this world. You will save your people. You will reconcile all things to yourself. And Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.